All right. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome to Liberty Alliance Networks. What can we do? I am Haley Heathman. I am pleased to be joined today by Brett Lindell. Brett um, is up in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. That's the Walton County area. He is the CEO of Pantheon Holdings, which um, is a series of real estate development uh, kind of group up there. Uh, very successful in his own right. Uh, kind of a I want to say self-made man, but maybe he can correct me with that a little oh, bit. Oh, definitely self-made. <laughs> um, he's also the founder of the 30A Club, which he describes as the most radical room in Florida, which uh, I like to hear about that. So um, I, I had, I'm having Brett on. I, uh, I listened to a recent uh, podcast episode with Brett and Mark, uh, Mark Clare from the Lions of Liberty. And um, I was really... Uh, I was vibing it, man. The whole time I'm like, yes, you know, do you ever, I, I mean, you know, even when you're not in the same room with somebody, do you ever get a, like a vibe from somebody? Like you're listening, like, yes, yes. You know, shouting at the, you know, cheering along. It's like, I wish I were in that room with you guys to, yeah. to carry on the conversation. So I thought, well, screw it. I'm just going to reach out to Brett myself and uh, I want to carry on because you guys made a, a lot of good points. So welcome to the show, Brett. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for reaching out. Um, you know, the, that's how it kind of started with Mark, and I've been on a few other podcasts, but I never thought I would be on any, but I think my experience is kind of relevant to a larger conversation going on, and I just kind of offered it up, and so Mark had me on, and happy for you to reach out and ask questions and talk about it. Yeah, so um, I, I want to, um, I, I just gave you the, a brief bio. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, and um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, originally from Texas, I would have joined the Marines straight out of high school in 2002. I spent about uh, five or six years active duty in the Marine, uh, five five years active duty, and then a little bit of time in the the uh, Army National Guard while I went to school. Uh, I was in oil and gas for a little bit in Houston. Then worked for a pretty prominent like building product manufacturer, so on the manu manufacturing side. I did not start my businesses until about 2017. Um, so, uh, that's what I do today. So I own a few construction companies. I was, I won't say bought out, but kind of partnered with a very large firm, uh, last year. And so I'm part of a bigger group called 68 ventures. You can go to the website, 68 ventures.com. Um, but we kind of do, uh, you know, our kind of motto is transforming the Gulf coast. We see a very big opportunity here in the panhandle, not just in Florida, but the coastal Alabama and all throughout that. Uh, people are moving here because it's free, right? And uh, we do a lot of that support through new home construction, real estate development. Uh, my companies specifically do subcontracting trades for houses, so roofing and siding and things like that. Uh, and then, you know, I think on the 38 Club, so a whole kind of pivot, that's my hobby. The reason it's a hobby is because it doesn't make any money. It takes money. That's kind right. of the definition. It's kind of like this. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. It's, it's weird. You gotta, you gotta, but you care about it. So you do it. You just have to be super cautious with your time and make sure you're being effective. But what I had kind of identified, so, um, I was back, you know, 10 or whatever years ago, very involved in the Ron Paul uh, stuff. So was my wife, um, you know, then flash forward 10 or something years later, we're married, have three kids. Life looks very different. The world looks very different. When we moved from Texas to here in the Florida panhandle, um, 
you know, it was a very red area, but I didn't see the level of organization here that I was used to in Houston. And I saw people who kind of wanted, like, they wanted that, like, uh, have a good mission. And so very, very reluctantly, I started a club here. Um, I, I tried to, I probably started at nine months later than I had the idea. Cause I kept like trying to convince other people to, uh, to start it, but they want it. And so just like everything, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. So we started maybe back in January or something like that. And, um, though we're just a small meeting of people, it's grown fairly rapidly. There's quite a big buzz about it. Um, we have, you know, every person running for office or current official that would be you know, on this, on the state and federal level, wanting to come speak at our meetings or at least come there and introduce themselves. So in a very short time, we've become kind of this hub for conservative politics just here in the panhandle. And, you know, so much so that the uh, DeSantis campaign reached out to me a few months ago to help plan uh, and organize some of their events through the panhandle. So that's been kind of fun and there'll be more events of those coming up. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a uh, it's work working for free, but the, you know, in terms of the political object- objectives I care about and the people in my like community I care about, it's been pretty rewarding and it's even growing from here. I mean, the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, um, I want to get to the 38 club, but I want to circle back because what, um, what I really liked, you know, when I was listening to you on Lions of Liberty, and um, I actually went back and listened again yesterday just to refresh my memory and everything. But um, I'm going to get a little inside baseball. You know, not everybody yeah. listens to this is a, a LP or within, you know, even maybe considers themselves a libertarian. So for those of you, bear with me because we're not going to dwell here. But um, inside baseball is the, the libertarian party. There's kind of a difference between the big L libertarian and kind of a philosophical libertarian. So um you and I came out of the, the Ron Paul revolution, kind of Ron Paul libertarians. Um, and uh, that was great. There's a lot of energy in the movement, you know, 2008, 2012, and then it kind of dissipated. And the libertarian party itself kind of took a left turn. And uh, I mean that in every sense of the word, where we had a, a, a very bad uh, chairman. Uh, I say we, I've never been part of the party, but I, I associate with it and I know about it. And um he took the party in a, in a bad direction, uh, very woke direction, you know, not much difference between uh, a libertarian and a, basically the Democrat party. I mean, hey, you know, they're, they're going along with all what the, the regime wants, you know, but they just want it to be a little bit more voluntary. So, yeah, no, you should totally get the vaccine. Just make sure it's voluntary. We should have lockdowns, but just in a voluntary manner. You should do the right thing. And uh, so on and so forth. And they're running people at the, at the top, at the national level who are publicly praising Hillary Clinton and things like that. So, you know, there's a, a movement started several years ago, four or five years ago, to basically make the Libertarian Party libertarian again. Um, and that culminated um, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago at uh, Reno, where basically that movement succeeded. It took lots of years and, you know, uh, dirty politics in the meantime, but, um, finally, uh, they've succeeded in, um, getting the right people back in positions of power and the LP. Now that's great, but there are some people like, um, Mark and others in the libertarian podcast world who, 
you know, even if you might be friends with some of these people who are uh, associated with this movement, um, still have some criticisms of that, uh, the Mises Caucus is what they are, um, for various reasons. But I think a lot of it boils down to the fact that this is a lot of energy, a lot of time and a lot of money for a lot of people. And realistically, what are they going to accomplish? You know, you're never going to have a libertarian president. You're never probably going to have a libertarian Senate, you know, Senate person. What exactly is this going to accomplish? And Mark was, you know, publicly criticizing people who are trying to get GoFundMe started to go to, to go to Reno and, and can't really afford to do it. And, you know, Hey, is there a better use of your time? And, uh, you went on and you made some really good points and you've talked a lot about action, you know, uh, what, what's your, what's your catchphrase? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all about that action boss. Yeah. It's a, it's a Marshawn Lynch quote. Is there anybody else you'd like to attribute that to any friends of yours that maybe, uh, yeah. So, uh, there's a, there's a podcast you should check out called the driveway Liberty. They focus a lot on, um, Walton County politics and very entertaining to listen to Travis Horn yeah. is one of the hosters hosts on there and on, twi uh, on Twitter, Marshawn Lynchertarian. <laughs> yeah. Lynch yeah. He's great. So he, you know, I was, I had this, this is something I had been just professing to employees or people all the time, like action, action, action. Uh, and, uh, he just kind of brought that quote up to me and I'm like, man, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. And so it's me and him kind of joke back and forth about it all the time. Yeah. So, and I like that too, but you know, what also it brought to my mind is, um, and, and I think maybe to, to put, boil it down to one phrase is, um, don't mistake action for accomplishment. And yeah. I think that that might be a criticism of the Mises caucus and what's going on in the LP, but that could be a, a valid criticism of, you know, uh, what can we do at large? I mean, I've started things and, you know, I don't know, I don't want to do things just to do them. What's the, What's the goal? How do you achieve that goal? What's the difference between just taking action for the sake of taking action? And how can you know if you're actually accomplishing something? So I want to kind of explore some of these with you as uh, somebody who would probably be a self-professed man of action and what you think um, the difference is between just taking action and, and, you know, spinning your wheels versus actually accomplishing something. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I follow all that stuff too. Um, I've never been a big old libertarian and you know, I would have kind of been libertarian ish, obviously being Ron Paul or maybe the 10 year old definition of it. But, uh, you know, and like Tom Woods and all those people started to go over to the actual LP. That was never my thing. Um, always been, you know, there's part about being in the South where you are culturally conservative and that's kind of what, you know, the LP wasn't, wasn't really doing right. But, uh, you know, you bring up that point, it's weird. I kind of, if you follow Mark Clare, he's kind of going through what he calls like a character arc where he's kind of like turning dark. And, and I have too. Um, and it's, it's been over the course of the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, but even recently, like the last year or so. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned those people doing GoFundMes and stuff to go to Reno. Even before that, he had a debate on there between Dave Smith and a guy named Archie flower. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at that and like Archie Flower, you know, he was the chairman of the LP uh, Libertarian Party in New Hampshire or something like that. But then, you know, it was like a few months after his debate with Dave, he was posting to GoFundMe on there because he was like short on cash for like his bills and stuff. And I was just like, this does not make sense. Like, why is he, you know, it's a little bit of Jordan Peterson, which 
you know, the books right there, like Archie, go clean your room first before you start doing all this LP stuff. I actually reached out to him and I said, uh, and it, it probably came off snarky, but I was just being direct. I said, I will help you start a business or be a high contributor to wherever you work. Like I'm offering that to you. I was, it was honestly, I'll, t- I'll teach you to fish instead of giving you fish. And he blocked me, he blocked me immediately. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's for the, for the thing with like the libertarians, it's they're the greatest minds. And this would be, you know, though Bishop would make this argument though. I don't want to speak for him of why he's against the LP Mises caucus is because it's siphoning away the greatest minds uh, to a cause that the results may not be there, right? So uh, even if you take over the Libertarian Party, then what is kind of the question. Uh, I, I do, I don't see too much of, I still see some value in it. I think it's really impressive what the Mises Caucus did in terms of if you've ever run a club, a free voluntary club, um, it's absolutely miserable to organize volunteers and stuff like everybody it's like a perpetual school group project where everybody has this great idea and then you end up doing 99 percent of the work so the effort that went into it is fantastic but kind of coming to your point about like just because you're doing the action you know doesn't you know that's the labor theory of value yeah right um you know that is in the economics everyone professes to understand that Hey, just by working hard and doing lots of stuff that makes it valuable. No, it doesn't. That's, that is, you know, Keynesian economics in its essence. And a a lot of the parts I kind of talk about is like the separation of ideas and action, which, uh, you know, uh, if you're involved in any of these like discussions, it's a lot of people with great ideas and you're just debating ideas and ideas and ideas and ideas. And, uh, my quote that I loved even, and I'm going to paraphrase it, even before the Marshawn Lynch one was, uh, uh, I believe it was a patent one, you know, I'd rather have a 50% plan executed violently today than a 100% plan executed next week or something like that. And that was something in the Marines you kind of embodied too. And I think uh, a lot of people miss the point on the idea stage if they just talk about the perfect idea all the time when Hey, look, you've got to get the, the way a business starts is not by getting a hundred percent perfect business plan. You get like a good, depending on your comfort level, if you're like newer into it, you maybe get like 80 or 90% and then execute. But like uh, in my situation where we start businesses quite a bit, we might have like a 20 or 30% idea of the plan going into it with like some good fundamentals and then we execute. But then you kind of talk about like, Hey, what's like the right action? Um, that is actually the hardest part. And I reference everything to business. This business has really made me understand politics and ideology and philosophy a lot better because um, in business, especially if you have things outside of business, family, kids, things you care about, your finite resources time. And you have to be so guarded with your time at all times. To me, if I make a business mistake, if I go into a business and it's not correct, you know, those are hours I've sacrificed being with my kids who are toddlers and I can never get that back. So a lot of it's uh, my business partner who is far more successful than I, um, who gives me a lot of coaching, you know, his number one goal, as he states to me, is uh, to prevent me from getting into scenarios that 
are not good or that even if you did it 100% would still not be a worthwhile business venture. And uh, that is actually the biggest, once you have like up and running businesses, the it's, you're never really, you, you almost have an overwhelming um, amount of opportunities you can go work on. They just fly at you. And so then it becomes like hard defining, like what is the one that has the most, you know, whether it's biggest ROI in terms of dollars or biggest ROI in terms of impact or something like that. Um, so yeah, you know, you look at the, one of the reasons I started offering to do these, these podcasts, like talking about this is I see people who like, it's already hard to put things into action and that's extremely admirable, but they're, you know, some of them are falling victim to the idea that that action is good unto itself. Like what's the objective and what's the objective behind the objective and so on and so on. And I don't think that I think there is a core group of people and it's probably the Mises caucus who care about the objective, but you know, you're surrounded by people who are there for a social club or a whatever and, or they're grifting, they're taking advantage of that movement and selling them stuff, you know, whatever. Right. So, uh, yeah, that, that action comment, I'm glad you asked me that because I, I do a lot of coaching with people who want to start businesses and my biggest, you know, thing I try to get them past is like, Hey, the idea is irrelevant honestly, like just pick something and do it. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be like perfect. Um, go just execute on this and, you know, then years from now you can do something you think is perfect. Right. But I, you know, it's very few people I talk to, you know, cause they're not in the action stage yet who it's a good point as my business kind of mentor mentors me, he sees me able to execute on businesses and he's very cautious to be like, make sure it's the right business or the right path or is this result going to be good? So it's caused me just as a person and a businessman to like think many steps down the road because I can get tricked by business opportunities because they, Oh man, this is going to be great. But then sometimes you play it out and you're like, man, I'm going to waste three years of my life doing this. And for what, you know, it's going to make a lower, you know, EBITDA versus if I did this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So Yeah. Hope that kind of answers your question. Uh, yeah. It's something I think about quite a bit. Well, and, you know, I'll use myself as a, an example, kind of what you said. It's like, well, you start these clubs and, yeah, it's like a, a, a group project where you're, you're the one doing 99% of the work. And so, you know, I've tried to start a couple different things. And one one was um, like just here in my neighborhood. I live in an HOA neighborhood and everything. And, um, you know, like, okay, well, let's start in your own backyard. Who do you know? Um you know, rather than trying to make friends with everybody in the county, what about people in your own backyard? If shit hits the fan, I'd rather have a neighbor I can rely on that I can walk yeah. to their house than my Facebook friend who lives 500 miles away. But even doing that, well, number one, I try to start, a, you know, we have a, a community Facebook page and then I tried to advertise my new Facebook page and then it got taken down because it's political and everything. So that was like a challenge in and of itself. But then finally I got some people, you know, to join and then I was like, okay, well, let's have like, you know, uh, some um, meetups or something. So of course I hosted the first couple at my house um, and this is like late last year. And then, um, you know, somebody else hosted one, but then it was like, it got to the point where if I didn't do it, nobody else was going to step up. And then it got to the point where, um, you know, just trying to get people to, 
be engaged or take action and get them to come or do anything. It was like uh, herding cats, you know? So finally I just kind of stopped because after like two, two times of trying to get people to go and either, you know, I mean, I got it, I I got it going, but it was just like, uh, and and then I'm like, well, what's the point? And I started to, I kind of, it's kind of like similar to what I was doing with the picnics in the park. And this was like for, um, liberty minded people just in the, in the area at large people from like the Tom Woods group that I'm a part of, or some other, like the freedom cells and stuff. Um, just, Hey, let's get together. And then I thought I didn't really have a, a clear call to action. And so I did two or three of them. And again, I got, I got people together, but I just also felt bad to, you know, that people were driving an hour and I really didn't know what to, like, what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. And um, something that stuck with me when, about your interview with Mark Clare, cause you're like, well, you know, where you live, it possibly could be considered the freest place on the planet. Cause we're in the, it free, is. in the freest state, you know, the freest County of the freest state, you know, yeah. of the freest plant, you know, freest country supposedly. But, um, that's one of the challenges in my area too, where I feel like it's be, it's a lot easier to fight back. If you have like a boogeyman to fight back against, you know, like if you're in a blue County and you're fighting mask mandates or, yeah. you know, toddler mask mandates or lockdowns or whatever. Sure. It's clear. There's a clear, boogeyman that you in a clear objective but when you're in kind of a red county and you know everything's pretty kosher and i'm i'm in the villages area um and it's a pretty safe red county and everything like what is what are my objectives i don't know and maybe that's where i've been struggling is if i can't if i I can't figure that out then i don't feel like i should yeah carry on just for the sake of doing something do you see yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give you the answer as if I'm talking at my club. Um, yeah, we we both agree that since March uh, 2020, Florida is the freest place in the entire world. And if you lived in the Florida Panhandle, you live in the freest part of Florida. And if you live in Walton County, it is the freest part of the Panhandle. So if you're in this room tonight, you are literally in the freest room in the world. And if we want to keep it that way, uh, we have to look to who helped us achieve that. And that's governor DeSantis. He's coming up for election in November. So from now until November, you know, we've got, you know, four or five months. DeSantis won by 30,000 votes. If you divide that just by neighborhoods throughout the state of Florida, that is two more people per neighborhood showing up to vote DeSantis versus Andrew Gillum. Um, if you want to know what Andrew Gillum's doing today, I suggest you go Google it, but do it in a dark corner away from polite society because you're going to be shocked. Oh, and so our call to action is we identify and look, this is where um, some of some people lose me off the liberty spectrum because I am a hardcore DeSantis fan. Me too. And I know that is not a purity test for a lot of people, but I don't care anymore. I'm I don't a, either. <laughs> I, like, I, like the, I like to win. And yeah, exactly. You cannot debate the fact that DeSantis is winning. And so if he's going to put himself out there and look, he's got, I believe, a uh, eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and then like a two-year-old. Like I understand what he's going through, what sacrifice he's making and if he's willing to put himself and his family to sacrifice time away from them to like fight the good fight, I'm going to be a soldier in that army. And if, if what we say, the distinction between him being elected or not was the difference of two people per neighborhood, I know for a fact that what I can do in the panhandle, since we are very red, is make sure that that number is overwhelmingly red because in an off-year election cycle, typically one out of five people vote. So every single month that we meet, I am just harassing people to vote, vote, vote. Tell people about DeSantis. I wear a DeSantis shirt to Disney World, out to the gym, wherever. 
And if we do that, if you truly like believe that we're in the freest place and you value that, we ha- not only have the privilege of being free, but we have the duty and responsibility to like literally keep the pep rally going till November. Now, after November, we can choose a different cause. But for now, like I make it very singularly focused. And that's like a manageable amount of time. It's not saying, look, we've got to change the world. That's a little bit vague and the definition is out there. But just like a business goal, you know, you can look at, if you look up the acronym SMART business goals, yes, uh, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based, mm-hmm. you know, I do that even in like our overarching meta like goal. And uh, so, yeah, you don't have a boogeyman. I mean, you honestly do. You have... Uh, the girl who got in second place in the swim meet versus Leah Thomas, the guy, she was from Sarasota, Florida. That mm-hmm. should have been a Florida woman's medal, but because of weird rules, she came in second as a silver medal. Um, you know, the uh, don't say gay bill, which had nothing to do about that. It was um, Christina Peshaw, our own Gator queen, press secretary for Ron DeSantis, she correctly identified it. Like this is an anti-grooming bill. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you about like that safety of a red County. Um, if you go check out my rumble channel, Brett Lindell, our latest, uh, yeah, our latest recording of the meeting, we had moms for Liberty speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this girl, she, I mean, she was almost in the same spot as you. She's like, look, I'm in Freeport, which is like, you know, Walton County is like plus 40 red Freeport is the most red. And she's like, well, we're going to start this moms for Liberty, but what, I mean, we're pretty safe. What is there to do? She started digging and the stuff she found would absolutely shock you. Um, for the last five years, the Florida health department, because of a loophole they had found had been doing a sex education program that used books published by a company in San Francisco. That is actually a planned parenthood company. So these seventh graders were in class acting out sexual scenarios and sex positions here in Walton in a red area. That's disgusting. Um, They found that, you know, the 50, there's like a list of 54 books or something that aren't allowed in Florida schools. Uh, Not, you're not, not allowed to read them. You just, it's the parents who have to introduce it their kid. They found something like 28 of those in the library here of the elementary and they, it was like transgenderism and stuff like that. That doesn't just get in there by accident. That It got in there because a librarian got hired who was from Portland, Oregon. If you go to her Facebook page, her son is her profile picture who's like 12 years old wearing lipstick. So this is in the reddest part of Florida that this is happening. So I guarantee you if you dig... Uh, you would find stuff that, and you know, just to use my talking points right there, that's enough to, you know, make people like with torches and pitchforks charge out of their room and go take stuff down. I was shocked too. I literally started this club and tell me if I'm rambling too no, much no, about no. it. No, no, no. I, I want you to, to talk about it and, and go through some of the steps and uh, yeah, I, what you did to build it up and how you keep it going and how, you know, how do you herd cats? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I literally thought about it like I do a business and I was going to our what you call a rec meeting, which is the Republican executive committee. Every County has, um, the, and, and look, I'm speaking in Republican terms. This can be applied to anywhere. So do a translation later if, if that doesn't apply to you, but typically every County will have a, uh, so you have Republican party of Florida. Every County has a rec Republican executive committee. And I was just attending those and I was just uninspired. I'm sitting here going like, we, you know, we know, 
a DeSantis reelection is coming up. And last year they had chose to do the meeting every other month rather than monthly. And I'm like, this, and the, you know, the average age of the room was like 75 plus. I was, I was the youngest person in the room at 38, like by at least 20 years. And that's, that's no comment on age. It's, but you typically, if they're like 75 to 85 years old, you know, a lot of those women do a lot of things and those are important people of your clubs. But I knew there was this entire segment moving into our area who's not being reached. And if you're like me and you have kids or you're like a working or something like that, and you're not a retiree, um, you're not going to spend your, you know, night a week going to that. It was a, I mean, it was stuffy, you know, it was done via Robert's rules. If you know what that is, which is like a, a formal way to like do a meeting, you know, calling to order and things like that. And that's okay. That's necessary. But you know, if we're in the world of TikTok and Instagram and TV, like I'm not saying dumb it down for people. I'm saying like, make it a night worth out. And for me, I had to say like, look, I'm going to skip bath time and putting my kids to bed if I'm going to drive and go to this meeting. And if, and I'm a diehard, so I'm going to go. But if I want more people to be involved, it's got to be something that's like worth a night out, make it a date night or something, especially in, in, you know, kind of my segment of, it's a lot of people might, me and my wife's age with kids and you have to get a babysitter to do something like that. So if you're going to get a babysitter, make it fun. And so I kind of said, okay, look, the Walton wreck is never going to be that I could run for chair. And in fact, they asked me to run for vice chair and maybe I will. Um, but it's never going to be that thing, no matter if you take that over. So this is a little bit of my translation to the LP as well. I could take over that wreck. It will never be the thing that needs to be in order to motivate and energize people. So I said, okay, what is motivating out there? Um, I, you know, I saw like New York young Republican club. Um, they're up in New York, one of the largest Republican clubs that has like, uh, Vishbura and, um, uh, Gavin wax. If you find him, they're kind of, you know, turning point USA people and they're, the president, vice president, it was like an exciting event. If you think back to like COVID March, 2020, or a little bit later than that, there's, there were those photos of people going to a gala in New York, like in tuxedos. It was like Matt Gates and people, and they got like chastised because they were maskless and stuff. That was the New York young Republicans club. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then there's a club down in, um, I think West Palm called like club 45. They're a very like Trump club and Uh they're not a chartered one, but like a thousand people attend this event and you can look across the country and find, and even turning point USA, you know, I used to make fun of it a little bit because it's like a laser light show, but like, man, it's cool. Like younger conservatives want to get involved in that. Right. And so I'm like, okay, could I using the resources I have here because where I live is a very kind of unique beach town. It's kind of cool could I make like just a fun event space? Like we don't want it to be the rented out library on a Monday night with like fluorescent lights flickering. Um, so I just contact, we have a local vodka distillery. That's like a cool happening place. And I said, Hey, I approached him. Can we have our event here? You know? And I didn't know if they were going to charge me or not. They were very gracious. Like, Hey, just have people here. I made sure and did it on an off night so that it benefited them revenue wise. I said, look, I think I can get 50 people here. A key theme of everything I'm doing is making sure it's valuable for whoever's involved. So if I'm thinking about the people I want to attract, it's going to be a fun night out. All right. What's fun for them. Maybe like a cocktail hour or something like that. Okay. 
So let's have our meeting at somewhere that's fun. Okay, now let me go to a fun place. Okay, is this going to be beneficial to them so that they're thrilled to have us every single month? You know, we're going on a Tuesday or something like that, and we're bringing in, you know, drink sales and things like that. So they're happy to host us. Okay. And so then I say, all right, what's going to be the content of the meeting? You know, that is challenging, right? There's a little bit of a game. I'm sure you have that challenge too. And like booking like speakers for your podcast. Um, and so I said, okay, everybody's going after the DeSantis's and the higher level people. Um, there's like, that's high competition there. I want to play a little bit of Moneyball here. If you don't know Moneyball is that yeah. movie about baseball where they're not going after the Derek Jeters. They're looking for guys with like high RBIs and like, you know, on base average and stuff like that. And so I said, let me start reaching out to like the number two and three and four people behind these people that matter, because I bet they're thrilled to talk about what's going on. And that was Christina Peshaw. She's you awesome. Know, she's awesome. You know, when I reached out to her, she had 70,000 followers on Twitter and I think she's well above 150 now. Um, she was more than gracious, gracious. She did not have to do that. Um, but you know, Vish Burra is coming to speak next, next, uh, in July. Vish Burra started War Room with Steve Bannon. He started Firebrand Podcast for Matt Gates. He was the guy who brought the Hunter Biden laptop, um, to our knowledge. He had access to it. He was the tech guy who went through it and said, guys, this is something, um, insane. Let's talk about this. And so I just started reaching out to people that, you know, I wanted to hear the most creative minds. So that's part of it. Uh, we, our local doctor who helped sponsor a bill with Governor DeSantis on physician-free speech. So like the more you start to dig in, you start to see like, oh, you know, and Tho Bishop is a great one. Tho Bishop is just down the road and he is, I mean, the Southeast expert on monetary policy. He was just on Alan West's show, uh, uh, Warren with Steve Bannon. He was on Rush yeah. Limbaugh and stuff like that. And so like the more I, it's a little bit hard at first, but the more I do this, you know, now I start to see, okay, you know, there's people around me who are very interesting to talk about. And so that goes to the content. I make sure the speakers are engaging. Uh, I even prep them a little bit before they go there. Uh, Christina Peshaw was one as well. Um, you know, she speaks all around the state and, uh, and she does represent the governor. So she does have to be cautious of what she said, but I prefaced it by saying, Hey, we're the most radical room in Florida. So please be radical, share radical ideas. Um, and that tailored her speech to speak more openly and freely. And she was receiving, you know, standing ovations of stuff. And so we've created this room, you know, we're still in our infancy. We're on, we'll do meeting four uh, this month, which is going to be more of a mixer. It's going to be more of a social um, because we had speakers fall through and that happens too, but we've created this vibe. Um, if you look at, so let's take New York and, and stop me if I'm rambling. If you look at uh, New York Young Republicans three years ago, they had 60 paid members and today they have about a thousand. So we opened up paid membership about two weeks ago. So we did a bunch of events up, up that were, you know, no membership. They're all free. Now we opened up paid membership just two weeks ago and we have 51 paid members and about 30 verbal say I want to join. That, what's that money going to go towards? You know, so, okay, we, we operate our club uh, like the federal government, so we're always in a the black red. black hole? Yeah, absolutely. We just, <laughs> no, uh, no, account no accountability, just, you know. No, we, ha we have accounting. It's just all negative. And, yeah, I've, uh, I've come out of pocket quite a bit for that first few stuff. Now, one of my objectives of the meeting is uh, 
when we have guests, uh, we put them in a very nice hotel when they're here. And we do a lot of like production and I pay for a cameraman to film it and edit it. And my idea is that if we take really good care of that guest and, and first of all, we're never going to pay for a speaker. We only want to find people who are non-paid speakers. You can do that. You know, you can go get a, you know, speaker for 20,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks, but that's not us. Um, we want to find those people who want to come speak, but then when they're here, we want to put them in a nice hotel, give them like a really good thank you gift and stuff. And then one of my questions when they're done, I was like, Hey, who's someone else that you find inspiring or cool? And they'll give you a list like, man, this person's awesome. You should reach out to them or they'll even help you be like, Hey, yeah, like talk to this person. So, uh, what the money is going to go to, you know, we, you know, right. So interestingly, what I found out was, is we had it at free at first. And a lot of people were asking us for like, can we join? Like they wanted to do join membership. And that was actually maybe a tactical error that we did not have that membership available from the beginning. Uh, because when our events were free and there was no membership, we would actually have a high rate of people saying, yeah, we're going to come and then not come. But now that we have a membership component, if like a hundred people say they're going to come, you know, we have 80 of those actually come and, you know, so it, people want to be part of the club. They want to be part Skin of the, in the game too. Yeah, they do. I mean, and it's 25 bucks. I do a, it's nothing. You know, if you go look at like New York Young Republicans, uh, they have different tiers and stuff. And we're eventually going to have like a tier system of like an expensive level. And, and we're kind of growing from there. And so if you want to see my game plan, like I'm really modeling myself after New York Young Republicans because mm -hmm. as a businessman, like uh, I'd rather good artists copy, great artists steal. <laughs> and so I just want to steal something that works and obviously put my own flavor to it. Uh, but then, you know, I'll tell you, we're, at a, we're, we're not perfect yet. Uh, we've had volunteer meetings, but, and we're starting, it's challenging in a business. I can delegate things to people I pay. So it's like, Hey, do this. Cause mm -hmm. you're being paid to do this with volunteers. That's definitely an element that's newer to me. Um, and also a lot of different personalities and a lot of people come in, they want to do all the exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that 90% of it's like boring. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, do a sign up sheet or follow up with these people who say they want to join and things. And you kind of see people like, Oh, okay. I wanted to join when I thought it was going to be glitzy, but yeah, I wanted to do the cocktail I knew... parties. I don't want to go knock on doors. Yeah. I didn't know we had to like, um, stack all the chairs at the end of the night oh, or wait, something. Yeah. And so, um, to the, to a real quick, to a point you just said, like knock on doors. So we're not an activist club. What we are is we're a hub. And so then, because I said, look, I can't also start this club and then find like the thing we need to go do. And I think that's sometimes a folly because you're actually doing two things. You're starting a club and then you're starting an activist outreach. So what I do, which is increases our popularity. I said, Hey, what are, you know, I, I really kind of understood what people cared about. Um, and you know, the little joke I make of the meetings is the four things this people at this club care about are DeSantis, uh, school board, uh, election integrity and DeSantis. And so of those action items, I bring people to the club. So we have the official representatives of the DeSantis campaign come there. Hey, if you want to be involved in the DeSantis campaign, here is such and such speaking about it. And he's got a list of things to do. Oh, Hey, you're interested in election integrity. Um, here is the women's Republican club and they have a really great poll watching program. They're going to tell you about it. And she has a sign up sheet where you can go act on that. Hey, you care about school board. Here's moms for Liberty. 
Moms for Liberty is watching this like a hawk uh, and they need people. So I've become popular because I help these other clubs get people to join and stuff. I just create like a hub of like information for our part. And, uh, you know, I'm not actually good at anything, even in business, but I'm good at like building a team and identifying like I identify that I'm not strong on school board. So I want to outsource like the work of that to Moms for Liberty. And so I kind of point people that way. That allows me to focus on just running the club. And then, um, you know, as new, uh, as new um, you know, objectives come up, you know, I'm going to find, hey, if I can take this group of people who are interested in whatever, where can I point them to to make the most impact? And then I, you know, I personally will get involved and say Moms for Liberty or something, but the club is the hub mm-hmm. uh, for everything. And that, that was going to be one of my questions is, is, you know, like, what is your call to action? And it sounds like, you know, you specifically or your club specifically isn't telling anybody or activating anybody, but you're putting people in front of them that if they want to do something more, that yeah. this is what you might be able to do. So, you know, cause I was going to bring that back to, okay, well, again, that sounds great. It, you know, like my mom, you know, I'm in the, I'm, I'm trying to, in my mind, I'm, I'm relating it to where I am and how I can be a bit more effective myself. And one of the challenges in my area is that we're so villages centric, everything is dominated by the villages. That's yeah. that. 65 and up demographic. And, you know, we've got villagers for Trump and the Trump club and conservative watch USA, and they get big speakers in like Mike Flynn and, you know, governor or not governor, but uh, well, yeah, I think so. Anthony Sabatini and Colonel McGregor and everything. Um, And so my thought with at least what I was going to do in the backyard and not my backyard, but the neighbors and everything was, you know, we need something that's not so villages centric. Um, but yeah. you know, one thing, my mom, my mom's a villager and one thing she kind of mm, sort of complains about, she's like, I don't need to see another speaker. I know what the problems are. I want a solution. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what, you know, how would you respond yeah, to so, that criticism? So we have a similar thing here. I mean, it's Florida. We've got a lot of retirees. And so if you look at, um, so in Walton County, there are six Republican clubs. You've got North Walton County. That's more of the rural one. You've got Freeport Republican Club that, you know, that's specific to that town. But then in South Walton, you've got essentially two women's clubs, Women's Federated and then Normal Women's. And then you've got the South Walton Club and then us, 30A GOP. So if you, I go to almost all of these different clubs and support them. And it is that thing. It's um, that kind of older demographic. And it's not the, it's what your mom is frustrated with is they just want a speaker in there. And it's kind of like, they want to get a picture and you'll even kind of see some of the old timers in there, depending on who the speaker is, they're spending their whole time thinking of the clever question they're going to ask at the end. And there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, you know, they're voters and uh, you know, it's, you know, whether it's pickleball or going to that meeting, that's what they're doing Tuesday night. And uh, so that's what I kind of identified. And, you know, we have a lot of people from those, I used to go to those and I still do, but a lot of those people are starting to come to us like, man, we like your club because it's, and so we're not actually action oriented. We still have speakers. We just make sure the topics is extremely relevant and, um, you know, you'll get these speakers in there and it's like a politician speaker or something. You know, I, I talk about these, these like older clubs, like you're describing like the Mike Flynn or something. They're just kind of throwing red meat out there. Like, Oh, do this. And everybody's happy. Um, I think my answer is I, I try to make the, my personal internal goal is I want to 
put radical ideas out there because I know people are going to moderate themselves naturally. So I want to bring in speakers who bring it to the radical side of things, the ones who are maybe anti-war or whatever, uh, so that people come there and then they can leave being like, oh, that's something different. And a part of like my money ball strategy is too, is uh, by talking to these people no one ever talks to, you get a really different and interesting perspective. Now we do, our, our call to action is a DeSantis reelection. And so we, and also joining the club. Uh, hey, join our club. Um, and DeSantis re-election. Re and then we, like I said, we point people towards that. But I will say um, it's an ever-evolving process in terms of thinking it because if I were to like go on autopilot, uh, you know, it could become a stale club like that where we're just having speakers and just going through the motions. Um, so, yeah, it, you bring up a great question. I So personally, from a bit business perspective, what I say is, okay, from now until November, here's what it is. A message of keeping up the DeSantis vote. And then we also have our own elections too. So I have it a mix of speakers and then local candidate debates as well. And if you're just thinking about like uh, in terms of value, um, hey, on Thursday night, we're going to go to this place that has a food truck outside and then drinks. And so we also coordinate a food truck. So that's kind of cool, right? It's not your typical stuff. You sit down dinner, like food truck, we can get drinks and we're either going to hear the candidates that, um, who are running for the office we're about to vote on debate. Uh, and also I make sure I tailor that debate. I call all of them beforehand and say like, look, I don't want to hear God guns and whatever. We know that let's get to the nitty gritty. Uh, so I make sure the debate is lively. Uh, or if it's a speaker, it's going to be someone that months preceding. I've been talking about Vish Burra to our club for like three months. And I'm, hey, I have to be a little bit of a carnival barker too. You know, I've got to sell it and pitch it. And that keeps people motivated. So um, for your mom who says, I want to go do things for action, you know, what that club is missing is not having those. So those groups that I introduce, they also attend every single one of my meetings. And I will kind of update everybody on what's going on. Like, hey, you know, if you haven't checked out, driveway liberty which is our local podcast they just had a great podcast on this or hey moms for liberty had this great vote go to look at that and so every meeting is extremely relevant and doesn't feel stale but you know a republic if you can keep it right like it's stale it's not stale but you have to be careful and you know that's what are your thoughts about um is political action the only action we should be taking? And how, how do we take action outside of politics? I mean, or is that, I mean, you know, some people say there is no political solution at this point in time. I mean, um, yeah. so what other action should we be taking? I mean, beyond, is there anything we could do beyond, you know, like cleaning your own room, as you say? Is there any sort of collective action, like a way of, of affecting the culture um, in your area in your neck of the woods that maybe isn't solely focused on politics? Yeah. Um, you know, mine is very specific to me, so I can only speak for me for everybody. It's going to be a little bit different. So business is number one. Um, the reason I offer people like business coaching or something, and you know, the offer is for any of your listeners to just email me Brett at brettlandell.com or find me on Twitter at brettlandell. Um, and I, I take these calls and I just, even if it's, it's not pointless to me, like if I can help guide people, that's good. Cause I think, uh, you know, if you took the entire LP Mises caucus and they were all either business owners or high contributing employees, which 
is also good. I don't dismiss that. A lot of people say, oh, you got to own your own business. I don't necessarily think that's true. I have guys who work for me who make a ton of money. They're never going to go run their own business, but they're super impactful. Like they run entire companies and stuff. So, you know, if the LP Mises caucus could be that, I think, uh, uh, not only would this world be a better place, but also it would round them out as well to kind of think about the world a little bit differently and how to interact with different people and stuff. But, you know, also we've been far more involved in church lately and, uh, I didn't grow up with that. Uh, but my wife did and she's Catholic. I'm not, but like culturally there's been something pulling us there or, and, and even me, like you, I wasn't not Christian. I just never went to that, but I found it so extremely rewarding in my life, especially now. Like times are, times are scary, but the thing is we do have the truth on our side. And like, if you under, and, and that is absolutely true. Like we do, we have the truth. And so like, who's a better speaker of the truth than the church? And if you have that mindset of like where we are and, and, and I'm not talking about like the, the church in terms of what we know things have gone good or bad, but just like the, you know, we've, one of the things I say at my meeting, we stopped talking about religion and politics at the dinner table. And those are the two things we should have been talking about this whole time. I think that's why we're here is we just kind of became secular in a way. And, uh, yeah, I not, I know not everybody is that way, but you know, that's personally how we do it. And then outside of that, I don't know that we'll, um, I don't know that we'll fix anything politically. I don't honestly think we'll ever shrink government. I think government is going to grow so big and then collapse or something or restructure. I think we're racing towards that right now. And um, uh, I think it's deliberate too. I mean, I keep saying, well, I'm, uh, not sh- I- I'm not saying that Joe Biden and his administration is deliberately trying to destroy America, but I'm just saying, I'd, I'm not sure what they do differently if they were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've gone so far as that I do. And you know, the next comment I hear from the, the screeching libertarian type is like, ah, oh, you know, the Republic, yeah, Republicans are bad, but you know, the reason I'm involved in the Republican party is because that's my neighbors here. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if I was in a different place, it'd be a different something, but you yeah. know, I think a lot about my political action, not so much of like, I'm going to change the world or shrink the government or whatever is like, look, this is a battle and I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family, my friends, my neighbors. And, uh, if, if we say we're something interesting that happened this last, this last few years with DeSantis is he showed like the power of the federalist system. Like, it doesn't matter who your president is. If you have a strong governor, imagine what can be done. Let's look at the thing with Disney. Yeah, right. You know, so I'm I'm actually not quite done with throwing, like, the political impact away, whereas I used to. I was the black-pilled kind of no-government person, and, and I still, yeah, my perfect state would be, like, zero government, right? But that's it's also not a realistic thing. And so I look at this example of DeSantis, and then I can look at different areas, even locally, um, if honestly, if we stopped caring about federal stuff and cared more about school board and elections and county commissioners and city council, like we have the power to change the things that affect our lives most. But a little bit of the trick of the media is, is all we're hearing about is like presidential race and Biden stuff. Like look at Trump. I think if anybody could have done anything, it would have been him. And you know, he, he couldn't, mm-hmm. I don't know that the presidency is a, that's why I don't want, you know, you hear the cries of, you know, DeSantis 2024. And I'm like, no, 
No, no, no, no, yeah. no. I think he's going to be far more effective being a governor of the freest state in the nation, undoubtedly, possibly the world, as you say, and keeping that that torch of liberty alit. Um, yeah, and this- than what they're then trying to be a president where they're going to, they're going to Trump him, you know, they're going to railroad him at every step of the way. And how effective is he really going to be? I mean, yeah. And this, this is what makes me a, a disciple of Hans Hermann Hoppe. <laughs> you know, I think we'd be better spent um, repealing term limits on governor than anything and, yeah. you know, keep him in perpetuity though. I will say, you know, I, th- I, I do talk to a lot of people um, kind of deeper at his campaign and, they're adamant that he is hundred percent Florida. And I even, there's some people on the Trump side I know who say, yep, Trump is running for president in 2024, but I'm starting to kind of hear the rhetoric of DeSantis and it's all based around Biden and stuff. I would not be surprised if he doesn't run for president. Well, you know, what's fun. Yeah. I mean, and I think that'd be a travesty, but I think people, I mean, you know, I'm seeing national conservative figures like Mike Cernovich and others who are, uh, um, Seeing how, especially if you compare Trump to DeSantis, and, and and DeSantis makes Trump look like a chump by comparison. Because if you want to talk yeah. about effective governing, nobody has been more effective than Governor DeSantis. And I think that's the um, what happens when you surround yourself with the right people. And Trump's Achilles' heel heel from day one was he picked. I mean, despite his bluster, he picked all the wrong people, and he did through the end of all the way to the end and still to this day, you know, he's you know endorsing eh, some questionable people, you know, and yeah. governor DeSantis shows what you can accomplish when you surround yourself with the right people, the Christina Pashas, the Dr. Lapatos, you know, AG Moody and everything like that, who are on your side, who agree with you philosophically, who aren't trying to stab you in the back and who are totally on board with your vision and your agenda. That's why we've been successful. He's been successful in Florida and people are picking up on that. And then when you compare that to Trump, you see what an utter failure he was. Um, and Trump always put himself first. I mean, I, my, my big criticism, well, not my only, but one of them, I'm like, you know, you look at these January 6th defenders rotting yeah. in hell, rotting in prison. What has he done for them besides yeah. occasionally mention them in a campaign speech? And it took him a while to even mention them. It took him months and months and months before he would even mention these January 6th defendants or Ashley Moody's name in a speech. And well, again, and that's self-serving. Why haven't you been to the prison? Why haven't you been putting your billion dollars to use by getting them adequate defense and and throwing your weight around? Why haven't you done that? You're just all about me, 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 me. And I think if you saw him fight for his people who are in jail because of him, I mean, not, you know, because they were fighting for him versus um, DeSantis, who is doing what he can to fight for little people, that there, yeah. couldn't, that there couldn't be a more clear distinction between the two men. Well, and let me play some political devil's advocate here. There would be no DeSantis without three Trump tweets and a Trump endorsement. You know, DeSantis was uh, had $200,000 in the bank and a Florida rep running against uh, in a primary versus Adam Putnam, who was uh, the agricultural commissioner, who's actually part of the kind of good old boy program up here in the panhandle. And that guy had three or four million dollars in the bank, and it changed overnight because of that. Um, and you know, DeSantis has had some very interesting and questionable endorsements in the last few weeks as well. Oh, that's he, true. Uh, yeah. He and just yesterday he endorsed uh, Jay Trumbull, who uh, for state senate up in my area, who is um, a uh, 
a figure that definitely polarizes some people. He endorsed Wilton Simpson for Florida Agricultural Commissioner. Who I, is staged, the, I staged a protest against him here in the villages when he came to be the, he was the Lincoln Day dinner speaker. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I grabbed a bunch of people. There's about a dozen of us out there protesting him because he's a rhino. And he's the one that sing- yeah, well, and him and Sprouls it, held up the special session to get masks off kids and everything. They and, did. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, I mean, I could name a litany of good bills that, you know, with an overwhelming Republican legislature, they blocked or put in weird committees or something like that for them to die. The only, you know... and this is that whole excuse people make for Trump on the 40 chess stuff. Um, there are things that go on politically that I don't always directly understand. And there's part of me that coming out of that little libertarian you know, space is I'm a little bit more eyes and ears, open mouth, closed thing to just kind of watch what's going on. Uh, and not to say that it's still not correct, but if I could beat up Trump a lot, he killed the Bushes and he killed the Clintons. And I think that we should throw a ticker tape parade for that. Um, you know, and I want mean tweets back. Um, and he's not perfect. And I don't genuflect to anyone anyways. Uh, I don't want him to be perfect. I think, uh, you know, there's some perfections in DeSantis as well. Um, well, and that's all the more reason why I wouldn't really want him to run for president, because I have a feeling I would probably disagree with him on foreign policy because he's done a lot of uh, ass kissing of the Jewish lobby and Israel. I mean, I'm not, that's not anti-Semitic. I I'm just anti-war. And of course, you know, I don't want another Israel firster. I want an America firster. And I think that, um, I don't know, I'd be worried. Um, maybe he'd surprise me. Um, but yeah, no. And you know, the good part about not being a politician and just like doing stuff like, you know, you get to stand on the side and like call that out. And I think it should be called out of the parts that you think are right now um like even for like our our local candidate races and stuff i can be out there and say like i disagree with this that's why i like to be on the outside and surprisingly i have found that a lot of that pressure is more effective than i initially thought Uh, we have a congressman in our area neil dunn so we're we have matt gates right now who votes great um because of redistricting where I live, we're about to lose him and have Congressman Neil Dunn who voted to send $40 billion to Ukraine. Um, and he's the, the thing is, as I always tell people at our meetings, like liberals and Democrats are not the enemy. It's the rhinos and even the moderate Republicans who are, because you know, where that Neil Dunn might vote 90% the same way as like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Thomas Massey or Matt Gates in the areas that matter the most related to COVID or war He's voting the worst. And I asked the question at a, a meeting last week. I said, how do we, how do, like, what does a state or what does a congressman care about? And he's like, you have to say these things that matter and continually say it and get other people to call them. Like a lot of these people are just kind of, you know, Neil Dunn is every bit of 70 or something. They just don't. A great podcast to listen to is the Matt Gates podcast, and he definitely calls out like the boomer generation uh, because there's we've had such a shift in like the internet and information and stuff, but a lot of our ruling class is still stuck in this, you know, Sean Hannity, Fox News mindset, and they aren't getting it. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I I so part of me almost ignores all of that 
because it black pills me so much and I bring myself back down to school board, supervisor elections and personal stuff. And um, that's honestly just working with the things that I have control over and not stressing about the things I don't. Well, wrong, and right, or indifferent. You started go to, to talk about, you know, like action that we could take that's not political. And you were starting to talk about the business side of things. And I think um, to boil it down or and also paraphrase or, or um, you know, things like the, what Pete Quinones has been talking about is a lot about it, a lot of it comes down to power and how to seize power. And that's also why he, one of his criticisms about the LP is they're never going to be able to wield power that, you know, because almost, you know, as much as I appreciate the libertarian philosophy, um, where it falls short. And I think it's shown, and that's why a lot of us have taken this turn over the past couple of years is it's shown how inadequate it is to take power or do anything. Everything is defensive. There's nothing offensive about it. And you can't, um, well, usually, I mean, it historically is how it's been used. But, you know, being in a being a businessman, that's a that's a position of power. And I, one of my things I keep saying is like, why are there no conservatives or sane people in positions of power who can fight back against, you know, all this woke stuff or the yeah. BLM stuff or, you know, even the, 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 the person that you're talking about, the little librarian. OK, technically, that's not a position of power, that's, but that's a position of influence. And she made the decision or whoever, I mean to put these stupid little books in those, in the bookstore, you know, why don't we have conservative or libertarian or at least sane principles and superintendents and, you know, or are they in power, but they're just not using it the way that leftists yeah. use power, um, which their whole thing is power for the sake of power. And they are always trying to advance the ball. Whereas we're usually just happy to, Oh, we've got the ball. All right. And not do anything with it. Um, when we get it. So yeah. um, I think that's kind of where the focus should be, at least maybe non-politically. I mean, you could do it politically too. We need to take all these positions of power. We need to gravitate towards the centers of power um, rather yeah, than eschew them, which is kind of what we've been doing. The left is so much more adept at the use of power than the right is. I mean, it's it's somewhat in our nature to be like, well, I don't want to be king. I don't want to be whatever, but give a leftist a chance to be king or tyrant and they take it immediately and they immediately start wielding it. You know, it's a good philosophical question because um, I have to be careful. It's kind of, it could turn into my like villain origin story because um, you know, it's a definitely a slippery slope in terms of that. But I mean, very honestly, uh, you know, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired, you know, the threat to like family and friends and stuff. And so I'm a very different person than I was a few years ago. Uh, that's why I do suggest the business route because, you know, being politically powerful causes you to violate a lot of principle potentially, right? But right. if you're powerful in business, I mean, you know, I think it was last week or something, um, State Farm released that they were doing some LGBT book thing or something like mm -hmm. that. And right. I, you know, we, we spend, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars on insurance every year for across my companies. Uh, and I just called up our guy who handles that. And I said, Hey, if there's any state farm policy, um, you know, I want you to cancel it immediately and find someone different and tell them why. And then for instance, there was a uh, material awesome. supplier we use who, uh, you know, the general manager was, uh, who, you know, he was like an extension of our business. He was accused of promoting someone else because of racism. 
And this was a privately held company that was like, it's still family owned and he was let go. And so I, I did my due diligence because this is not like him. Uh, in fact, his number two guy is a, you know, a, a black man and, you know, it's a very diverse office, but there was a lower level employee who kind of just knew how to work the, whatever it's called, the EEOC, the employment, whatever. And so you know, this guy had been devoted to this company for 10 years and he was someone I tried to hire away for many years and his rebut the whole time was just how loyal he was to it and like how much stability there was. And I would make the case to him as a friend and say, look, I get it's a very big, large, like multi-billion dollar company, but it they're loyal until they're not like things are changing. And sure enough, and I hate to say it three weeks ago, he was let go. So, um, you know, what have we done? Uh, we're completely reviewing, you know, we probably purchase, you know, seven to $8 million worth of materials from them a year. Uh, and so now we're reviewing, do we need to purchase that much from them? You know, and I talked to all his level and said, if, Hey, look, you know, I understand this is the case. Is this the position you take? Um, and, and I want to be cautious too, because there's a lot of people in that chain who are good to us and I don't want to hurt them, but, um, they're going to be very aware of that, uh, you know, if they engage in something like this based off of a value decision, I also have a set of values as well. And we're going to choose who we do business with. It's very easy not to do that, to just go along and be like, oh, well, okay, whatever. Um, we just make sure that, you know, at least we can exert leverage or pressure where we can. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's okay. It's okay to take um, a page out of the leftist playbook every now and again, um, you know, because they do things very well. I mean, not not that I agree with them, but I have to give them credit, you know, but like when the BLM stuff was happening and, and even to this day, but, you know, especially in the wake of all that two years ago, um, you know, I saw a lot of my progressive and leftist friends, you know, oh, are there any black owned bakeries or are there black owned uh publishers that I can support or there, you know, I need a black owned photographer or whatever. Like, okay, that's fine. I have no problem with that. You know, freedom of association, more power to you, you know, but we should do the same thing too. Like, Hey, who are the Patriot owned businesses that aren't going to be doing this? How can we support each other the way that they're supporting each other? And I have no problem with them doing that. That's fine. I want to vote my values too, you know? And, uh, you know, how do we, of course they're making it hard with this ESG stuff, but on a smaller local scale, you know, that should be possible. Well, and, um, you know, we're a culturally based company, so, uh, you cannot every, everything you add into your group, whether it be an employee or something, you either have a chance to elevate your culture or diminish it. There's no standing still. So every time we bring in an employee, you know, they're going to elevate our culture or they're going to bring it down. And we also think that about vendor relationships too. And so if there's someone who um, is, you know, if they have a different value set, like uh, we need to align with companies who have the same value set or similar or something like that. Now, we'll do work for people who disagree with us all the time, but they at least know where we're going to stand. And also the good part about being in construction is, is like um, not too many liberal people swinging hammers uh, so, uh, if you want your house built, you have to deal with us, but we're super polite to them, uh, too. Right. So, um, you know, and, and then even on the employee thing, the, why I kind of encourage like libertarians to do get into business and stuff or, or whoever you are, right. Is, um, I feel like libertarians 
or whoever, I don't know what word we should use, who have the tendency when to start side hustles or some type of web-based whatever, I actually go the other way. I want companies that have lots of employees because, you know, so I have like about 24 direct employees and then we have like over 100 subcontractors. You know, a lot of it's leading by example. They know who I am. They know what I do. And like, I have the ability to influence a lot of people just by the actions I take as a person. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of younger guys who knew nothing about politics. And, you know, just by seeing like my accomplishments and how I carry myself and integrity and different values I carry, that's inspiring them to shape themselves appropriately too. Yeah, the lead by example approach, but you're doing it through business. Other people can do it maybe through like the church, like you mentioned before, or a sports org, you know, if you're part of a sports team or something, you know, like a local kickball or softball team or something. Or I still think, or given that we live in the South, there's not a, a woman who touches a door in front of me and I don't care. I'm not going to, I open door for every lady. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you know, and I think, that- sorry, something that, you know, you talk about the culture and I think that's also something that maybe again, you know, that we've ignored to our detriment. Um, and, and even in the business world, because you think of all these like tech corporations and one of the things you hear thrown around is the, 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 the corporate co- culture, the company culture. And, you know, you hear about like the Facebook campus and the Google campus, and they've got cafeterias and all these benefits and you can show up to work casual and all sorts of stuff, but they have created their own culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for the, for us, because we don't care as much, you know, we just want to create a business that's profitable. And sometimes that has maybe caused, I think that's a criticism of what like leftists have about like businessmen is it's all about the bottom line. You know, there hasn't been any focus on employees or employee retention and everything. Um, And I think there's room for both. And I think, you know, like anything, even the business culture, we have ignored to our detriment, not just the culture around us. Now I would argue too, that the culture around us has been manufactured that, um, you know, obviously what we see on Hollywood and listen to through the radio and everything has been very carefully manufactured to push an agenda. So I would say that they have manufactured the culture for us, but that's where we need to come back and push back and create that, you know, like the, the conservative Christian culture is going to be the new counterculture because you've seen how far they've taken the rest of it. And it's disgusting. Yeah, if you look at our our group of companies, now we are in Florida, but we're the panhandle. So, you know, we're kind of a southern, you know, culture here, um, which is a little bit different the farther like south you get in Florida or whatever. And so uh, a very big part of just business culture up here is almost every every time you eat, like you pray before the meal and stuff like that. And and that's different for some people. Um, and that's never been me necessarily, but I, I like it, even though that's, you know, and uh, – that kind of leads forward with like people's values, but like you're talking about like the, the Google and stuff like that. One of the things personally I did with construction companies, I kind of said like, you know, these kids who graduate high school, yeah, they all want to go and work in tech because it's cool. Can we make construction companies cool? So we're extremely for a construction company, typical construction company. It's a temporary trailer out on a job site and you got a guy in there who's been doing it for 40 years and, drinking black coffee and smoking cigarettes and has a dip in at the same time. And um, almost all of our people who work for my company come from outside of construction. They come from hospitality or manufacturing or something like that. And we are, we're based off of Microsoft teams, which is kind of like a zoom platform and stuff. And so we lead heavily into technology. 
Um, and just by us doing that just a little bit, it's like a very intriguing and fun place to work. Our, also, our jobs are, you know, we use technology to um, make people more productive or effective so that we can pay, you know, way higher salaries and stuff. We have guys who started out on our lower end as project managers and now they're division managers, like making well over six figures and in a very short time too. So I do agree with that. Like, um, but I will say like, uh, when I look at other businesses, cause I do a lot of business analysis, if we're going to acquire them or something, um, you know, it's not a right or left thing. Um, for some of these business owners, they just kind of grow to a certain point and then level out and never choose to grow past that. Like growth is what funds opportunity and that's what we kind of use. But yeah, the left is far better about adding that part into it. Uh, except for us. And that's what this, this younger generation almost demands, um, for better or worse. I mean, you know, call them what it is, but you know, they're kind of demanding a better, um, better working conditions, like kind of the working conditions of, of our current generation, you know? Um, yeah. Where they, and, and, and even the people would rather not work. Sadly. I mean, if you don't yeah. have the right working conditions, they'd rather just not work than go to work where they're not happy or, you know, don't get the right conditions met for them. I mean, that's call that what it is entitled, selfish, lazy, whatever, but it is how it is. And unfortunately the, you know, with all the subsidization, um, you know, all the, you know, welfare and handouts and everything, they can get away with it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge challenge. We, I mean, we see a direct impact with all like the Biden dollars out there and stuff like that of people not working. And then, you know, I haven't, um, there are a lot of like, uh, terms you can use for, uh, like this latest generation. I honestly have yet to figure them out a little bit. Um, I technically count as like a millennial, but I'm kind of in that weird spot between, uh, I like think I'm, gen- I'm a couple, I'm the Zennial. I think they call it. Yeah, that's, I'm, that's, I'm right there with you. I'm, 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 I think I'm a year or two older than you. I graduated. I heard you say you graduated in 2002 high school. I graduated yeah. in 99. So we're kind of right. Yeah. On it's cusp. like you grew up with a corded phone, mm-hmm. but you maybe had a cell phone towards like the yeah. end of high school. Your, your analog, so, analog childhood and digital kind of. Yeah. And what's adulthood. interesting if, if you look at my company, one of my companies is all like 42 plus minus a few. And then the other company is like 25 and below. And so, uh, the guy, the, the group who is maybe 42 plus much more organized. Well, you know, you can trust them to come in like on time and everything The 25 and younger, you know, now this is part of their growing up too, but you're spending a lot of time teaching them to like tuck in shirts and stuff like that. Like some of the basics. Now that is a youth thing. I was going to say, is that generational or is that just experience, you know? Yeah. But even just, it's strange. They're a little bit like, uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't figured it out yet. We're still figuring it out. I, I, I do what I can to not have any, they can be very needy in a lot of ways. And so, but I have to be conscious of that. If that's who we're going to attract in, like how does our work environment need to be to bring in the best talent? Well, I don't know a lot about construction. Is construction, um, is that alert on the job kind of thing? Or would you do like an apprenticeship? Do you offer apprenticeships or anything? Or do you just, is every job kind of an apprenticeship? You just learn as you go. Yeah. So you have the actual, uh, um, the actual side that does the physical labor side. So that's a little bit of the, you know, you 
start on a crew and you kind of learn what to do. We have some formalized training processes, but a lot of it just comes via what you call OJT on the job training. But then like my actual, like the company part where it's like the management of it, you know, like I said, we, we like to hire people outside of the construction industry, care far more about attitude um, than skill. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we train them. Um, we have a pretty good training process, but you're always trying to like refine it. A lot of people come in scared because like, well, I don't know anything about this. And we're like, yeah, but you're fine. Like you have all these other accomplishments and that's, that in a way is like sad sometimes because our society has been so like limited to like, well, I know this one thing. So I stay here. And like, we bring a lot of people from restaurant industry over to construction and it translates very well. Because if you work in a restaurant, you're used to dealing with uh, back of the house where a lot of those guys could be Hispanic or something like that. So you're good at talking to people who may not speak your language. Uh, but then if you're in the front of the house, you can deal with customers who have problems. So you're really good at problem solving and communication. And then also if you work in a restaurant, you know, you're really good at what's called being in the weeds. So being overwhelmed and not getting flustered. And that is absolutely perfect for construction. So we'll take these people in this hospitality restaurant environment and be like, I get it. It's not a restaurant, but like you're a good communicator. You can talk to people of varying languages and backgrounds and stuff like that. And you're good at being overwhelmed without getting flustered. That is what construction is. And like, we now have like a good group of believers of guys who've been with us a few years now are like, man, I just never would have thought this opportunity was here. So we do that. Also manufacturing. Uh, we have a lot of guys that come from, there's like a lot of paper mills and stuff around here. And like, you know, that's needed, but talk about an absolutely miserable job oh, yeah. um, of just the day to day. And like, but there's such linear logic, logical thinkers and problem solvers and like, Hey, no, look, you can do this. Well, I've never done that before, but like, look, you, you look at this job site, almost like a factory in terms of efficiency and problems and stuff like, like root cause analysis, like that is perfect for construction. So we look at those skill sets and we just, we almost have to coach people into doing these jobs during the interview process and be like, no, look, you don't worry about it. Whatever we do, whether it's siding or roofing or windows or whatever, that's just a widget. Like let's put it in a scenario where you know, your skill set can apply here. And if you look at like a lot of other construction companies, when they hire people with construction experience, it's typically because they have a bad training program. They have to, you know, it's a little bit of a lazy hire in a way. Cause it's kind of like, well, this guy's got the experience. Let's just hire him. And that's good. You need that. Sometimes we have to hire in industry too, for very certain specific things, but you're getting every potential way they did things wrong over to you. And you know, you have to now kind of work them out of it. Well, and the reason I was asking about intern or not internships, but apprenticeships too, is um, finding out, finding another way to, to get these youth out of the freaking university system, a, where they probably don't need yeah. that degree anyway. Um, B, they don't want to go into debt. C, you know, we have to get them away from this indoctrination. Um, so get it, you know, finding a way to, lure young talent and keep them away from the university system, I think would be a win-win. I mean, yeah, we're, we're actually working with um, both a technical high school right now. And then also like a college, we're not too far along on it, but kind of, you know, just at, from a business point, creating a bench of people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, the apprenticeship to get them experience, but also like 
the reason those apprenticeship programs exist anywhere is because of the 10 people they have apprenticed, they're looking for those like two or three that they could then offer a job to. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're formalizing that right now. A lot of our guys don't have college degrees. That's something I've had to challenge my leaders, you know, who a lot of them have like master's degrees and stuff and say like, look, um, now I, I will say I've, I've corrected a little bit back on the degree side a little bit. Um, I used to be completely anti-degree. Um, but now, and then now I'm like, okay, I do see it does serve a purpose because it's really, it's all about someone's story. And if they can show their gaps of time that they were working towards something, that's good. And so the only thing I see good about degrees, it's not even about the subject matter. It at least shows like a little bit of a commitment. They showed up for like four years. Um, but it's not everything. Majority of people who we have are, do not have degrees. Um, but they're working in a role that if you look at another company, those people do have degrees. Um, and the degree thing is maybe a little bit thought more thoughtful to us in terms of the younger employees, because it's such a mixed bag. We can at least see like, all right, we see four or five years of they committed to something, Mm -hmm. but could you show us if you don't have a degree, like where, but I mean, we have guys who don't even have GEDs who are working in like a, you know, there's one guy who's a project manager, didn't graduate high school, and he's now like our office operations guy doing Excel spreadsheets every day. And so um, that shows you right there a degree is irrelevant. Now, he it was all about his personality, and we put him in scenarios to get trained on Excel or different programs and stuff, and he took that upon himself to become skilled. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, we think about it all the time, just even in, from a business sense, can we expand our labor pool, mm-hmm. and how do yeah. we do that? Um yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, being forward thinking, and I think that's going to be for us to really move the needle back in our direction. You were going to have to start thinking like that. And how can we wrestle, wrestle the culture back, um, you know, in every which way, whether it's through businesses, through uh, clubs, through politics, etc. So I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit, but you know, the name of the show I kind of end with is what can we do? So if you were to summarize the best way you can, you know, what would your answer to be to some, somebody who's looking at the world around them, looked at the events of the last couple of years, like we all have, and just been like, I don't know what, I mean, I know that everything is just uh, going to hell in a handbasket. Well, what can I do? What would you tell people? Yeah, I say first step is take care of yourself. It's kind of like that, you know, the, the oxygen mask dropped down on a plane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on to the child next to you. And I remember when I was little, I was like, man, that's kind of strange. Wouldn't you take care of the, the children first? But, you know, the point is, like, you're worthless unless you've got oxygen to yourself first, right? So, you know, that's very goes back, back to a Jordan Peterson theme. Like, like, look inward. You can change the world or you can change yourself. One of those is so much easier than the other. And you have more control over. So I'd say that we're all wanting to slay these like ultimate dragons out there of these big worldly problems. But honestly, if we, if you just looked towards like yourself or your business or your home, there's so many things you can change tomorrow that literally makes you a more, it's all about making yourself a more effective person. Um, And then after that, you know, I believe me, I don't have everything settled in my sphere. Um, at all, but like it's some, I'm always looking inward. I think I was, that, but that was the biggest change I made is like, yeah, I'm looking at these worldly problems, but like look inward, like, 
are you the most effective? Are you know, are are you having the best time with your kids or your wife or whatever? Like, do you have the your finances and things like that? I think that's number one. And number two would be okay. Now, if you're looking outward, like it's really like where do you make the biggest impact, the biggest return? And it's not necessarily a money return, but return on in terms of effect or um are you delivering where do you deliver the most value to people other than yourself i think about that a lot um a lot of times people do things like run for office or something and they don't realize it's actually an ego or vanity play um but if you one of our mottos in our little code at one of our companies the last part of it is customers in all directions and uh if you're just constantly thinking about everybody you talk to even if there's someone like you know, who should be serving you, like, you know, how do we, how are we best treating that person as like a customer? And so like, personally, like when I do these meetings and I think about like the part that guides me the most on these meetings is, um, am I making it extremely valuable for the person who's coming there? Uh, and that's kind of my guiding light. So yeah, if I go back, number one, like look inward, um, at yourself. And number two is when you're looking outward, where do you make the biggest impact? Where do you deliver the biggest value? Um, and, and sometimes that causes a lot of people to like, they want to go do the exciting thing. Like I, I've spent countless hours protesting in front of the fed. And I don't think that was wrong for me, a 24 year old. But I think if I was a 54 year old, unless I had all my affairs in order in terms of like business and stuff, that may be a fruitless effort, you know? So you can't just say I'm fighting the good fight, like, uh, you know, so that, that's kind of my, my takeaways I would think. And then of course, you know, I'm big on action, action over everything. Um, act, act, act. Don't stand still, I guess. Yeah. Um, standing still is not the answer. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, even with, with mine, even though I'm still kind of fumbling my way around and actually I probably want to talk to you, you know, maybe yeah. beyond the show about how, how I can be more effective here in my own life. But, um, I think doing something was still better than not doing anything, even if nothing directly came out of it. But I kind of like term myself uh, sometimes when I go to like a libertarian event, I'll call myself the libertarian matchmaker um, and not in a romantic sense, but I'm trying to befriend and kind of talk to a lot yeah. of libertarians, especially in Florida. So I've got a MeWe page called Florida Libertarians um, or the Liberty Movement of Florida. And, you know, I'll invite people usually from like the Tom Woods group and everything. And uh, if I go to a, an event, I'm like, oh, you're in Daytona. Okay. I know so-and-so in Daytona. You guys should, should talk or, oh, you're in Orlando. Okay. I know this person, this person in Orlando. I, you know, you should, you guys should get together or whatever. And I, I don't know what will come of it, whether it's no, social I, or anything, but that's kind of my, my jam. My friend, my friend, uh, Tho Bishop. And I think you said, you know, him. Um, I know of him. I don't know him personally. Yeah, so he's a friend of mine, and he's obviously he works for the Mises Institute and involved in um, libertarian stuff, but also he is in charge of the, the GOP over there. One of his best things he does is, I joke and I call him the spider at the center of the web, but he's so good at introducing people. And, uh, I mean, that's how I met Mark Clare. Um, he just said, hey, you know, I think y'all two would like to talk or whatever. And just not only in, like, the liberty sphere, but just on, like, a... Um, a community sphere, you know, he'll meet someone and be like, Hey, this guy has this company or this person's looking for a job. I wanted to connect him with you. And like, just being that person to connect people, like I think is awesome. It's just, it's super valuable, you know? And then people start to look to you as like, Oh man, she's really, you know, 
is the spider in the center. And that's maybe a bad analogy, but like, uh, no, you know, it's, kind it's, of it's apropos. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think even though maybe nothing directly came out of it, we didn't change the world, but maybe indirectly I say, Hey, maybe even if I'm not directly involved, maybe Joe and Bob met and they talked and through that, whether they developed a friendship, whether they formed a business partnership, whether they became Facebook friends. Hey, maybe it's like, it's like the butterfly effect. You never really know I yeah. mean, what little thing can, can have an impact down the line. Um, so I guess that's better than nothing. <laughs> no, that's, there's a, no, I, I think it's fantastic. The president of my main company came from that same thing. I just happened to meet him randomly and I didn't hire him till like years later. And my first employee was a young guy. This is the one I told you about it. Didn't, doesn't have a GED or something. He was working at a wine department in the grocery store and he just took me back as like a sharp young guy. And, um, and I've had people who've come to work for me and then leave me because I've maybe found them a different opportunity that was like better for them. So I think it absolutely is about that. I used to be completely against the idea of networking because I, I saw it as this like, you know, cause if you ever go to some of these networking events, there are some very self-serving people and that's what would turn me away. Um, but like the true essence of networking where it's not that is exactly what you're talking about. You heard in that Mark Claire thing where he talked about the Celestine prophecy. Um, I think it's very smart to like act on these like potential relationships you see, even if it comes to nothing, as you heard in my interview, I'm not afraid to just call someone up and sound dumb. Um, I think, you know, I think it's neat to do that. And like a lot of good stuff comes from that. You know, me though, putting me in touch with Mark Claire and then me doing his podcast introduced me to you. Right. right. Like uh, yeah. how interesting is that? So, indirectly though bishop is the reason me and you are talking that's true um so <laughs> thanks you, though <laughs> yeah yeah call, you, call you, me <laughs> yeah yeah and so i'll tell tho about yours and um i'm sure he'd love to do this podcast and talk to you and just that kind of connecting people who are all headed towards a not same but similar objective that's where i think libertarians would go wrong you don't have to be a hundred percent. You can build coalitions with people and find overlap. And I think that's what's so cool. So yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. Well, um, I think you mentioned some stuff before, but if there's anything you want to plug, uh, yeah, plug away. my t Twitter is at bretlandell.com. Uh, our, the geo 30, a GOP is at 30, a club. We're also on TikTok and Instagram. We're 30, a GOP on there. And that's kind of fun. If you want to kind of see an example of our political club, I've got a sub stack that, um, uh, brettlandell.substack.com. Uh, the tone of it is very direct and dark. Um, so I kind of emphasize that Jungian shadow. I won't say it's dark, but I'm very direct and it's honestly a, a process. It started with, I had a lot of friends ask me like business advice and I was like, okay, if I were to like write down these thoughts and the next time a friend asked me just for sake of saving time, I could send him here and he could read all that. But it became this process of like, discovering some of this essence of the why of what I do and help me think through it. So um, there's not a cogent theme through there, but it is uh, interesting. My business partner, who's extremely successful, when you ask for advice from him, he gives you very bad advice because he kind of forgot what it's like to struggle. Um, you know, I've had a good, decent bit of success, but I'm not 
so far away from when I struggled really hard or, you know, even what I'm going to do. So I try to capture a lot of that there because I know where most people are who are reading it are in their struggle phase. So that would be my Substack. So that's it. Substack, Twitter. And uh, if you want to email me, brett at brettlindell.com. Um, super busy, but I'll definitely get back to you. And whether it's emails or phone calls, I'm happy to help anyone, but expect like very kind of direct and piercing advice. That's what I like. That's why I was like, yeah, my man, you know, listening yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'll, I'll make sure to include all that on the show notes page um, awesome. when I put this out. But um, I'd like to stay in touch, um, you know, pick your brain a little bit more, maybe off air. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, let's see what we can just keep doing to advance liberty and uh, claw back a free future for us, our neighbors, our kids, grandkids, et cetera. And uh, Brett, I thank you so much for joining me on today's show. No, I'm honored. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers.